Before we jump in today, there's a couple of just incredible things I just wanted to uh, share with you. Just, you know, there's those moments where you just want to celebrate because uh, just really cool things are happening. And uh, you might not have uh, known, but last weekend, our junior high ministry had their winter weekend. And we had somewhere around 35 junior high students uh, head to winter camp. And uh, we had... Uh, Four or five, uh, I think it's four, high school students also joined them. And then a whole team of parents, adults, leaders that all took a weekend off to spend with these junior high kids and help impact their lives. And so all week I've been hearing just story after story after story about, you know, what happened in people's lives. And it was awesome was, yeah, it was four junior high kids, but so many stories were the adults, the parents that went and God did such an amazing work in them. And for our high school students, this was the first time where high school students went not for camp for themselves, but they went with one purpose, to allow God to use their lives, their gifts, their passions, who they are to impact the lives of junior high kids. And you should hear those stories. And I was trying to think about which one to share today because there's so many. And uh, I had an email late last night pop in my inbox. And uh, it was just like, oh, that's it. And... uh, um, Two students, uh, one student texted her friend and uh, asked her a simple question, basically like, what did you learn? And, you know, how are you different from this weekend? And her friend texted back and started to share about, I mean, literally the whole theme of the weekend, Ephesians 2, and what God was doing in her and that she knows that Jesus died for her. It doesn't get any better than that, does it? And uh, I just want to encourage all of you, like seriously, if you, if you uh, uh, run into a junior high kid, ask them, did you go to winter camp? And don't like be scary adult, but you know, just ask them and uh, uh, have them share a story about what God is doing in their lives. If you know a parent who sent you know, their junior high uh, child to uh, winter camp, ask them about it and hear the stories of life change because they're everywhere. Well, the second thing that I want to celebrate uh, with all of you for and just want to say a big thank you. Uh, Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard, but over the past month, we've talked uh, a little bit, I mean, just a tiny bit about this spiritual life survey, right? Have you heard about it? Uh, If not, uh, you have missed all this last uh, probably five weekends. And uh, we talked so much about it because it, it literally is that important, that imperative for us as a church. And the spiritual growth team is one of our teams on our Renaissance kind of 2.0 vision and and, and strategy. And uh, they came up and said, you know what, we really think, uh, Chris, that this survey is that important. And so can we, you know, really make sure that uh, it gets communicated and we can execute it? And they developed an amazing plan. And uh, what we knew was in this survey, it was really going to help give us uh, a very clear picture to where all of us are spiritually just right where, I mean, it will give us that, that, that kind of picture. And so uh, they knew the organization helping kind of run this organization kind of said to them, well, if you hit 40% of your adults on the weekend to take it, that's, that's a huge number. I mean, 40%, you guys have excelled. If you approach 50%, that's even better. And then 60% is almost unheard of. And so kind of, you know, 40 is really aggressive. If you accomplish that, that's great. And so they set this bar really high. They set it right around 200, which is kind of in between that 40 and 50% number. And they said, we can do that. We can do that. And so I I just want to let you all know today, uh, right now, we're sitting right around 230 people have taken that survey. Way to go. Like, that's like overachieving. Now, 
I know right now some of you are like, oh no, Chris, don't look at me in the eyes. I haven't taken it yet. Uh, um, it's not too late. You can still take it today. And uh, it closes, uh, I think, midnight tonight. And so I talked with a couple after last service. And they're like, we're going to take it. We promise you we're going to take it. I'm like, yes. And so just know it, it is literally that important. And what's cool is I was talking to someone else after the first service. And he said to me, he goes, Chris, you know, I went in to take the survey uh, basically because my wife said that I had to. And uh, I went into it. And I thought it was really going to be more about church. And what I realized were the questions challenged me personally and challenged me spiritually, and it was so incredible for me. And uh, what's amazing is I've talked with countless people, and I know for me personally when I took it, it's the same thing. I went into it thinking it was a church survey, and what I realized were the questions were really um, challenging for me as a Christ follower and what to do. So wherever you are spiritually, uh, whether it's your first time at Renaissance or have been coming here forever, we would love your input. Several people have asked about the results and uh, when it, the survey closes tonight, um, the organization running it is going to take, I think, around three, four weeks to compile all the data and put this huge report together. Then they're going to deliver that report to us. And uh, the spiritual growth team with some other uh, leaders, we're going to go through all that. And then uh, over the next several months, we'll be sharing with you uh, the results. And it's, we really believe it's going to be uh, an important guide as we move kind of into the future of Renaissance to uh, help develop tools and resources so all of us, uh, where, wherever you uh, are spiritually, can take steps to grow towards Christ. And so that's a goal. So again, I, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much for uh, all of you jumping in and supporting Renaissance uh, like you have. Well, today we are week three of the series called Seven. And uh, basically what, what the series is all about is we find in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 this incredible section of the Bible in the middle of probably one of the most unlikeliest of books, Revelation. And usually when you think of Revelation, you think of like, like, like beasts and dragons and swords and fire and winged creatures is that book. But right nestled into chapters 2 and 3 is this amazing guide for us individually, but also us collectively as a church. Basically, Jesus gave John this prophecy to write down seven letters to seven very specific churches in seven very specific cities. And he gave great encouragement, told them what they were doing correct, but he also brought some rebuke, some uh, correction to some of the churches. And not only uh, were they very applicable 2,000 years ago, they are, for us, Today, basically, it was Jesus' performance review of churches. So today, we're going to jump right into this third church located in this third city, the city of Pergamum. And uh, Jesus, you're going to feel right away, he doesn't waste any time. He doesn't slowly get into this letter. You're going to feel this intensity right from the very beginning. He says, to the angel, and remember, angel isn't winged creature. The word angel really means herald or messenger. And so what, what we know is this is probably the spiritual leader of the church, the pastor, the, the lead elder of the church. It says, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has a sharp, double-edged sword. I don't know for you, but whenever I hear or read about a sharp, double-edged sword, right, it creates this tension, this moment within my spirit. Right before we moved here, uh, 
we got away quickly and we drove down to Southern California and we went to Legoland. Uh, it's an amazing, amazing place to take your family to all day. And so we took our kids, my parents went down and uh, we we're making our way through Legoland. If, if you've done the you know, amusement part uh, thing, wherever that might be, uh, you know you have to put like guardrails around your kids or they'll want to buy and eat everything in sight. And so uh, having season passes to Disneyland for way too many years, we knew coming to Legoland, we had to put those guardrails to our girls. And so we told them you could purchase one thing, one toy, one item uh, in the park, just one. So you're gonna have to pick. And once you've picked that one item, there's no turning back. And so all day we made our way through Legoland and, uh, and your kids wanted everything. And we kept on saying one, one, one. And so we got later in the day and we're eating ice cream. And so I looked at Kim, I'm like, I- I'm gonna have to take Claire. She's our five-year-old. I'm gonna have to take Claire and go like try to get her to choose just one thing because we're running out of time. So Kim's like, yeah, go do that. And so I took Claire to the section of Legoland where it was like, castles and princess stuff. And she's my little princess. And uh, so I took my little princess to the princess part of Legoland. And I'm pointing out the princess dress. She's like, no. The princess tiara. And she's like, no. Uh, The uh, princess wand. No. The princess Barbie doll. I'm pointing out all these princess things. And all of a sudden I see her eyes. They lock in on something. And she goes, daddy, I want that. And she made her way over and picked up a sword. (laughs) And I'm sitting there in the moment, you know, right, as a dad, I'm like, okay, if she comes back with a sword, my wife won't believe me that she actually picked the sword. She's gonna look at me like, come on, Chris, really? I'm like, so I'm trying to convince her. I'm like, Claire, no, what about the tear? No, daddy's sword. What about the dress? No, daddy, I want the sword and the shield. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know. I tried everything and I realized she really, really wanted this sword. My mistake was right next to the pink swords in the barrel, there was a barrel of black swords with dragons on them. And I'm like, if Claire gets a sword, well, she needs someone to fight with. (laughs) So we came back. I'm carrying the black sword. Claire has a pink sword. And my wife's like, really? Both of you? Swords? So now we have sword fighting. So Claire will come home from school and she'll say, Daddy, sword fighting. I'm like, okay, sword fighting. And we have these epic battles with powers because she's like introduced Star Wars into this. So like we can push people and there's it's all this. Well, one day she goes, Daddy, sword fight. I'm like, okay. So she gets them all out and I have my sword and she has her pink sword and she literally, literally does this. And all of her five-year-old gusto, she looked at me. She goes, bring it on like Donkey Kong. And I'm like, I just got called out by a five-year-old. And so I was thinking about this verse, right? Like, and I was like, oh, I'm going to bring you the pink sword. But I just was like, this doesn't give the, the picture that I think this verse is really trying to communicate to us, right? First of all, it's pink. And second of all, it's really kind of flimsy, right? Like this doesn't intimidate you at all. So I'm sitting at my desk and I'm thinking like, well, this will be a cute story and it's a pink sword, but it's just not quite what I think Jesus was trying to communicate to us. And all of a sudden I turned around in my chair and on my wall, it's been hanging there since we moved in. The first day I hung it there. And from the very first day of us moving into our house, my wife has almost daily said to me, you need to get that down. She almost daily has suggested that I remove that. 
She's demanded that I've removed that. She's pleaded with me to remove this one thing hanging right in the middle of my wall. So I turn around. I'm like, that's it. This, uh, pink sword. But if I brought in this, now that gets there, right? Like this sets the tension. Now it's not, you know, technically a double-edged sword. It's a machete. I think it can work. I was on this mission trip to Jamaica years ago, and uh, we were helping this church, and they had no walls. And so if you've been to Jamaica before, uh, it's, it's an island. It's green, which means it rains all the time, and uh, kind of like here. And uh, they didn't have walls. They had this tarp covering, and uh, are you really nervous right now? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like <laughs> I'm holding on to it tight. I probably should set it down. It is a third service. And uh, they, uh, uh, <laughs> I just realized, I'm like, that would be bad. Would that make the headlines? Um, okay. So, so, uh, so I'm helping this guy, and we're building these brick, brick walls and pouring uh, concrete by, by hand, mixing it by hand. It's, it's grueling work. But we're trying to construct these walls so that this church, you know, could actually have shelter from the, way, or the rain and the storms. And so we're working, and we're tired, and also one of these Jamaicans in this very thick Jamaican accent said, Beal, give me the Beal. I'm like, I look around, I'm like, Beal, what's that? And he gets louder. Like, if he says it louder, I'm going to understand it more. Beal, Beal. I'm like, what's a Beal? I'm looking around, and all of a sudden, literally, he walks over like in this huff, and he picks it up, he goes, Beal! I'm like, I get it. I get it. This is a beal, I guess, right? And I come to find out later, it's a British word um, for machete. And I'm like, well, I, I, I didn't know that. Now I do. And so I bought one because I just thought it was really cool. And uh, I also saw this guy cutting his grass. He had this bamboo uh, uh, stake, um, kind of staff thing. And he literally, he was cutting his grass like this impressive and scary all at once. And I'm like, I hope that bamboo staff doesn't slip out of his hands. What I find interesting is, is Jesus said that he has this double-edged sword, his words. We go through the Bible and there's all these word pictures. And Isaiah talks about his word, God's word being a, a rod. In Psalms, it talks about his word being a lamp and a light. We go into Ephesians, Ephesians 6. It talks about that God's word is a sword. In Hebrews, it talks about God's word being a double-edged sword. And two weeks ago, I read this description to you, this, this picture of how John was seeing the resurrected Christ, Jesus, the eternal king. And if you miss that, let me read it for you again. He said, And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. 
And we get to this letter to this church in the city of Pergamum. And Jesus says that his words are that of a sharp, double-edged sword. You know what he's saying? There's power in his words, right? Because this right now gets your attention, doesn't it? Especially if you're in the front rows. Gets your attention. This automatically sets attention in the room right now. You're all hoping that I'm having a really, really good day. This, in the right hands, is real positive, isn't it? This, in the wrong hands, complete destruction. This can be used as an offensive weapon to go in on the offense. This can also be used as a defensive weapon. Someone broke into the back of my house, into the kitchen, and he opened that door, and I was standing there with this. Which direction do you think you'd go? This has a lot of power to it. And I think Jesus, on purpose, equated his words, God's words, to that of a sharp, double edged sword. Jesus goes on in this letter and he says, I know where you live. I know where you live. You see, this, this, this church was located in this city called Pergamum. And there's a reason why we keep spending so much time talking about historically what was going on in these cities, because it helps us understand exactly what Jesus is trying to convey to us, to articulate to us. Pergamum was a lot different than Smyrna and Ephesus. Smyrna and Ephesus were these economic engines, a lot of wealth. They had great seaports for trading. They had uh, uh, many trade routes going through their cities. But Pergamum, they didn't have a seaport. And they didn't have those types of trade routes going through their cities. Pergamum was far inferior to Ephesus and Smyrna. But Pergamum was absolutely superior when it came to two things. First of all, their, their intellect. It was this intellectual hub of the region. They had constructed and filled probably the second greatest library known to the ancient world. The first being the great library in Alexandria, Egypt. And Pergamum was number two. Historians think that they had somewhere up over 200,000 books, all written, right, by hand, in their library. Egypt was so jealous, so envious, and so scared that 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 library in Pergamum was going to kind of supersede their library, be greater, that literally they stopped exporting papyrus to Pergamum. They literally cut it off and said, no more papyrus. You will get nothing... If you're a library, you need something to write on. And so how history tells us is once they stopped selling and trading and exporting papyrus to Pergamum, they had to to figure out another way to write books and copy books. And through that process, they came up with this substance called parchment made out of calf hides. 
And the word parchment comes from the word Pergamum. And so you have this amazing intellectual hub. But beyond that, it was a place for a lot of idol worship, temples to every god, small g, you could think of. They worshiped there. They had this huge temple for Zeus. They had another huge temple to Dionysus. They had uh, several temples to emperors that they would worship there. But one of the greatest temples ever constructed was to this god, Eclipius. Eclipius was this, this god of healing. And it's important that we talk about it because it kind of sets the stage for what Jesus is going to say next. So we're, we're going to come right back to that. He says, I know where you live, where Satan has his, th- his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not n- renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city. He, Antipas was another lead pastor running, leading the church in Pergamum. So Smyrna, they had their lead pastor uh, killed. Now Pergamum, the same thing has happened. And Jesus finishes the, the section by saying, where Satan lives, So two different, very descriptive pieces of Pergamum where Satan has his throne and where he lives. What do you think about when you hear about Satan having his throne? A place of power, a place of prominence, a place where people realize that he was in power. And not only was he in power controlling the city, but it was also the place where he lived, his residence. It wasn't a place where he would come into, spend some time, and leave. And so as uh, historians and theologians have really wrestled through these two thoughts of Satan has his throne and where Satan lives and trying to figure out exactly what Jesus is meaning by this, we come back to this temple to this God, Eclipius. You know what's interesting about this God of healing? Hundreds and hundreds of people would travel hundreds and hundreds of miles to descend on this temple because this is what they would believe. If you needed healing, you'd go into these dark rooms at night. They'd shut the doors and they would release non-venomous snakes. And you would spend all night there with the hope that a snake would touch you. A snake would crawl over you. I don't care how sick I am. There's not a chance. Could you imagine all night? That's what you're waiting for. And you could hear the hissing. I don't care if they're venomous or not. I don't care if they're small or big. I just would say, uh, don't heal me. And so you have biggest temple in this city to this God with the snake as its emblem. You go back to Genesis. What's the word picture for Satan? Serpent. And what was a curse for him to crawl on the ground? And throughout the rest of the Bible, Satan's referred to countless times as a serpent. And in the middle of the city, controlled by idol worship, Jesus said, I'm coming with a double-edged sword. 
Well, the issue wasn't just that the city was dealing with this, but that all of this had infiltrated the church. Jesus said, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you, people inside the church, who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who have taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you have also have had those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. If you remember back to the, the church in Ephesus, we talked about the Nicolaitans, and we could spend a whole lot of time right there. But basically what Jesus was saying is there's these two groups of people that have come into the church, that have infiltrated the church, and they have taken his word, the Bible, and they have twisted it. They have misrepresented it. They have injected their opinion to it. They have positioned scripture where it might sound like it's right, but it's absolutely wrong. And Jesus wanted to make it clear that he was not going to put up with people coming into the church and twisting his words. And he ended by saying, repent, right? Turn away from, repent. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. I get asked, what denomination is Renaissance? And uh, the last church I came from, very similar to Renaissance, I got asked the same question. What denomination? And I, I'd kind of like bounce through. It's a weird question. And I, could, I was always uncomfortable. I still am because it's kind of all, we're non-denominational, which even though it's not a denomination, it kind of is. So it's like the non-denomination denomination that's not a denomination that it might be. I don't know, right? It's kind of confusing. Uh, so I simply say to people is, I believe in this. Because every denomination, including non-denominational denominations, is made up by man, by human beings. And whenever we get our hands on something, what happens to it? Even the non-denominational type. And so I always quickly come back to people and say, I believe in this. When we first moved here, uh, some of the best advice we were given, uh, life-saving advice, uh, go buy a GPS. And I'm so glad because we were actually able to find our house, uh, which would have been real awkward. Go, hey, we moved here, but we can't find our home. It's somewhere. And so we went out to Costco, and we bought two GPS units, exactly the same, so we both could figure them out. And uh, they had a lovely female British voice on it, so we named them Pippa and Penelope. And I don't know if those are British names, but it fits. And so Pippa, it's in my wife's car the most, Pippa is so kind. Uh, you, you type in the, the city and uh, the street number and the street, and Pippa will take you exactly there. She very encouragingly will tell you to turn left or right or go straight or you know, how many feet or how many miles until the next turn. She also has this really bright uh, purple path that your car sits upon and you follow that purple path. And it still amazes me how I can make a wrong turn following Pippa. And I find myself turning left and also I'm like, no, I want to go straight. But how did I turn early? But the purple line. But you know what happens when I get off course? 
Pippa so kindly says, recalculating. And she recalculates. And I get a new purple path. And one day I think Pippa's just going to lose it and say, hey, idiot, follow the purple line. Which would be kind of funny. And I follow Pippa. And I get to my destination. And guess what all I have to do to get home? I hit the home button. Wherever I might be, I hit home. And Pippa gets me home. This is my GPS for my life. And I will get off path. But guess what this will do for me? This will get me back on path. You see, what's amazing is this whole entire book will lead you to Jesus. Genesis 1 starts revealing Jesus. I know, maybe you've never seen it there before. It's an awesome picture. And throughout the Old Testament, there's pieces of Jesus who are concealed starts to be revealed. And you get into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Jesus is revealed. And we come to Revelation, and not only is Jesus revealed, but we see, we have this amazing picture of the risen, eternal King. This book has to be your guide. And I understand there's difficult, difficult, difficult parts of this Bible. This past week, I was sitting... uh, uh, eating lunch with Clay. Uh, many of you probably know Clay. Clay did our announcements today. And Clay is uh, verifiably uh, uh, the smartest man ever to walk the face of this earth. Uh, if you know Clay, that, that's a fact. He has a certificate on his wall that says, I am the smartest man ever. Uh, and so I'm sitting with Clay, and we were just having this great conversation and really struggling through a pretty intense part of the Bible. And we're working back and forth, and I was asking questions, and he was making me feel not real smart. And uh, I kept on asking questions, and we're working through, and we kind of got to the very end. And at the very end, he said, then Chris, that's the mystery. And I said, well, maybe I add that to my list of questions I'm going to ask God one day. But I have a feeling that when I'm sitting face-to-face with God, it's all going to make sense. But it was such a life-giving conversation. In 2 Timothy, it says, preach the word. Now, you might hear that word preach and quickly say, ah, I don't have to pay attention to that because I'm not a preacher. You know what the word means? Communicate, share, be a herald. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say, and get this, don't miss this, to say what their itching ears want to hear. This is not a church where we're going to share what your itching ears want to hear. Because the last time I've studied this Bible, God says that his word is a double-edged sword. And it's there to get your attention. It's there to create some tension. It's there to correct 
and rebuke and encourage and paint an amazing picture of a God that loves you so desperately. It's made for you and I to be the GPS in our lives. It's there to be on the offensive and the defensive. It's there to reveal to us a message that God so desperately wants to communicate to you and I. As I thought about how to end our time together, I emailed out a a group of people and I just said, give to me uh, maybe your life verse or maybe a verse that's coming alive to you right now or maybe a verse that has significantly impacted your life. And uh, it was overwhelming as I read through all these emails with these verses and I started just copying and pasting and and, uh, putting them into my notes. And I I want to spend a few moments just reading some of these verses to you. I hope it gives you life. And know that uh, we'll send all of these, both the ones I'm I'm reading to you, but a whole list of other verses out in our happenings this week. And uh, if you don't get our happenings, go to the guest center. Give us your email address. We want to connect with you. And so that's how we're going to get them out to you this week. So make sure that you get them. Philippians 4 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Psalms 51, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast from me your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Psalms 46. Be still and know that I am God. If you just took that verse today with you, seriously, like you, you probably have it memorized right now. It's that easy. If you just rested in the fact to be still, not grab your smartphone and try to calendar in time for God. What if just today you were just like, okay, I'm be still. Not work to be still. Not try to find time to be still. Not, not try to coordinate schedule to be still. Not t- turn the TV on and then maybe after the TV and a nap and dinner I might get to being still. Just what, what if today you just said, I am going to be still. And rest in the fact. And know God. Ephesians 2, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Philippians 4, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. How much time in in your days is uh, filled with just negative thoughts? And God says, you know what? No, focus on all this other stuff that will give you life. Romans 8. "If, If God is for us, who can be against us? Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born. 
to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful and he will be called counselor and he will be called mighty God and he will be called everlasting father and he will be called prince of peace. Philippians 4, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And today, let's end with Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. This must be the guide for your life. And when you get off course, allow this to get you back on course. And when you're not sure what to do or where to go, allow this, his words, to guide you. And if you do, God will make straight your And when you do, it will lead to him, to his feet. And when you submit to him, you can rest in a peace that comes from him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your words. I thank you that they create tension. I thank you that that your words get our attention. I thank you that they're there to correct and to rebuke and to encourage. I'm so thankful that they're there to give us this amazing picture for who you are. I'm so thankful that your words will give us hope in moments where we feel like there's no hope and that your words are there to give us joy when joy is a difficult thing to find. Lord, may we get to know you more by your words, not by people's opinion, not by our opinion. Lord, I pray that this book will always be our guide. That it will always be our guide. In your name I pray, amen.